you're faced with adversity, do you flounder or fly? I'm Simon Ratcliffe, and on Turning the Tables, I share candid, powerful stories of people who have turned around adversity in their personal or business lives to find new purpose and meaning. In each episode, I will dig deep to uncover the mindsets that turn adversity into advantage. Hey, it's Simon, and welcome to episode 21 of Turning the Tables with my guest, Amy Novotny. How did a strict upbringing by a controlling single mother, later diagnosed with bipolar, pave the way for high academic achievement and extraordinary resilience, and foster a career as a groundbreaking and influential physical therapist, successfully treating chronic pain where traditional medical interventions had failed. That is the story of my guest, Amy Novotny. If you struggle with stress or anxiety, if you have any chronic pain, or if you want to find a route to a calmer life, you will want to listen to Amy's honest and candid story. We talk about her early struggles to win the love and affection of her mother. How Amy ended up tutoring her mother for up to eight hours a day whilst also managing to achieve exceptional academic success for herself. How she found freedom in running and competing in 100-mile ultra-marathons. And finally, how she developed an approach to physical therapy and breathing techniques which are transforming people's lives and their performance capabilities. And be sure to listen to the end when Amy reveals how she built the resilience and mental strength to deal with the adversities in her life. I know you're going to enjoy listening to this episode. We started our conversation with Amy talking about her upbringing and the relationship with her mother. Growing up, I grew up with uh, my mother and one of my older brothers. And at the time when I was growing up, my reality was just living with her. And I didn't understand that she was mentally ill. And I knew there was something wrong with her, probably in my teenage years. But just being with her, I would wake up one day and she's happy, she's smiling, she's treating me well. And then the next day, she is angry. She's nitpicking at everything about me. And it was a roller coaster. I didn't know what was wrong. And I didn't know how to behave in a way that would make her happy with me or make her like me or make her love me. And at that point, you know, being a little girl and being a teenager, All I knew was how she treated me. And so everything was very rigid. I wasn't allowed to do a lot of things. I went to school. I did Occasionally I did some after-school activities, but then it was come home and do your homework, go to bed, and repeat. There wasn't a lot of ability to have social interactions with my friends outside of school, especially in junior high and high school. She was terrified that we were going to turn into bad people. And her method of parenting was to control everything that she could about us so that we would be these perfect little beings. 
And part of it, I think, was she got pregnant with my eldest brother um, really young, and then she married my father, and they were married for almost 20 years before they split. And then my other brother and I came a lot later, and I think she was trying to prevent us from going into drugs, and she wanted us to be perfect little students so we could go to college and have a career and have this perfect life that she felt that she didn't have. And I believe in her heart that she was trying to help us not make the mistakes that she had made. And unfortunately, it was a roller coaster because we didn't know what was wrong with her and we didn't know how to act. So we constantly lived in fear and she threatened to send us to our dads and to live with him if we didn't behave a certain way, almost as if she was withholding her love from us and dangling her love in front of us and we had to behave a certain way. It was often we felt like we were puppets and we were scared to do anything. I know in my heart, she made decisions based on her circumstances, her emotional state, her mental state, and she was doing her best. That was all that she knew. And so she was doing what she thought would help us grow up and to be functional, successful human beings and adults. But at the time, it was hard. I have to say there was a lot of tears shed and a lot of sleepless nights because I didn't know or understand what was going on at the time. One of the things was she didn't go to she didn't go to college and get a college degree after she completed high school. And so when I was starting high school in ninth grade, I encouraged her to go get a college degree so because she wanted to be a teacher. And so the deal was, if she gets in and she goes to college, that I would tutor her. And I was also taking, you know, advanced level um, high school courses and even some advanced placement courses to get college credit. But what I would do is come home every night, read through her college material so that I understood the material so I could tutor her. At the point when we started all of this, she couldn't even write a sentence with a subject, verb, and noun and actually make a complete sentence. She didn't understand sentence structure, how to write, or anything like that. Her math level was basic arithmetic, and she had to get to the point where she was taking pre-calculus. And so I tutored her. I spent four to six to eight hours every single night all through high school for four years tutoring her. And then when I got into college, I tutored her again through two more years to get her master's. And oftentimes I didn't, I didn't go to sleep at night. There were many nights that we would finish tutoring at one or two in the morning and I had to finish my schoolwork. So I would either get one hour of sleep or not sleep at all. And my high school teachers were very, very generous with me. And often I would have very droopy eyes or they would let me go into the back room and just lay my head down at times during the lunch hour just so I could get a few minutes of rest or even sleep. They were very, very kind to me. And I still managed to get um, straight A's, graduated uh, salutatorian, so number two in the class and have a 4.7 GPA in high school, never gotten anything but um, an A or an A plus in my life. And it was hard, but I was so determined to have her get a degree because I wanted to free myself from her. I knew that if I could help her get a degree and a job, 
I could escape the prison that she had put me in and the restraints and the confinement of her. I just, I knew it was my only escape to get away from her was to get her a job so she wasn't dependent on me. That's incredible. Um, Did you not, I mean, you know, I think people of that generation now listening to this would say, well, why didn't you just just leave? Why didn't you just rebel? And, and, you know, because no one would have sort of criticised you, would they, for for that? Did it it ever cross your mind? You know, it's funny because, no, I loved her and I... I thought she was my mom and I, you know, in some ways I idolized her because I just had love for her. And looking back, my oldest brother is 15 years older than me. And he said that when he found when he was an adult at this point, he, when he found out what was going on, that he had thought about contacting Child Protective Services because they could have easily taking um, my other brother and me away from her. I mean, we grew up sleeping on floors and just different things that she did to us. Um, She became a hoarder and um, we lived in very filthy conditions and she could have easily lost us. And there were times where I wondered if, you know, living with my dad would have been better, but I was terrified. She had planted in our heads that he was horrible and we had a little bit of interactions with him throughout our childhood and growing up, but in my head at that point, I was terrified to leave her. And even when I got, this is ridiculous, I got a full ride to Caltech, one of the um, prestigious colleges here in the U.S. for science and mathematics, and I turned it down because I was afraid to leave. She had brainwashed me so much that I was terrified to leave. In high school, I was scared of my own shadow. And I there were days I wouldn't even talk to people because I was just so introverted and scared and shy and afraid of the world because I lived in this rigid confinement of her, her rules. And if you went against it, she would get so mad at me that the only thing I wanted to do was to please her and to earn her love. So... <laughs> I would try to talk in a way that I could speak and it wouldn't influence her. Like the words, I don't know. If I said, I don't know, she thought I had an attitude. So I would have to figure out how to say, I don't know, in a way that didn't portray an attitude. And I just became more and more reclusive and just scared. And so I would go to school, come home, tutor her, do my homework, repeat. Wow, and and through all this, you've clearly were still able to achieve a high level of of, of achievement, uh, you know, in your studies, which is equally impressive. <laughs> yeah, I knew that was my ticket out. I knew mm. that if I could study and get scholarships, I could get out and I could get away. And my break actually was studying abroad in France. And I had it all planned out that if I could leave and go to France, I could then say that I changed enough, that she wouldn't like me enough, and I would have enough skills that I could leave. And that's exactly what happened. It worked out exactly how I had hoped. And as soon as I came back from Europe after five months away, she hated my guts and she kicked me out and I said goodbye. (laughs) 
I needed what it. What age was this, Amy? I was 21 at the time. You were 21, okay. So this sort of upbringing was 20-odd years of your, of your life you were in this, in this situation. And were you aware at that time at all about the mental health issues? Did she subsequently get a, a, a diagnosis? So at the time, I was I was starting to become more aware because I lived with a French woman over in Lille, France. And so I got an idea of what normal life is like, and it shocked me. I couldn't believe this, this French woman, Brigitte, she helped me. She sat down with me. She asked me how I was doing, talked to me. And it was such a weird interaction because I had I was so used to coaching my mom through stuff. She had stolen something in high school and ended up in jail. And I, had, I went with her to her hearings and stuff. And I was so used to coaching her about morals and ethics that it was weird that this French woman was sitting down and talking to me and asking me if I needed help, if I needed advice. And it was, it started to shift my mind and I started to wonder if something was really mentally wrong with my mom. And I wasn't sure at that time that something was truly wrong with her. It wasn't until that she was um, terminally ill with cancer and she was in hospice care. And I started talking to some of the nurses and I explained some of her behavior, this, this happiness, this sadness, this I love you, but I only love you if I can control you and I hate you if you don't behave the way I want you. And so we talked about it and they actually put her on medication for bipolar disorder, which calmed her down. And they said for sure that she has bipolar. They were also pretty sure that she had borderline personality disorder, which is the push and pull, the bouncing ball effect that they love you. And then if you don't act a certain way, they hate you. And then when you pull away, they love you again. And it just goes back and forth. So at the age of, of well, what was 21, 22, you, you at last escaped this. What, how did that affect you in the years that preceded that? So it was, it was hard at first. Um, There's a lot of crying and trying to get through it. And then there was relief. And I didn't talk to her for nine years, but I realized at that point during that time, I wanted to do stuff that helped people. And I realized I had this ability to connect with people and they would share information about themselves because they could trust me. And I realized that I could relate to people and I started coming out of my shell and I didn't, I wasn't as shy anymore. And I realized people weren't going to bite me on the first interaction, that there was kindness out there. And so I started looking at how can I help people in ways and also develop a relationship with them that wasn't just like a physician where you see someone and then you may not see them again for six months. So because I was interested in physics in college and biology, I turned towards physical therapy. And I got my doctorate in that, and I was still that high-achieving person. I I was valedictorian of my doctoral class, still straight A's throughout school. And when I finished, I, I did traditional physical therapy for a while, and I loved helping people. 
but I couldn't help everyone. There were people in chronic pain and they would come to me and talk to me about their stresses. And I realized that their stresses were so tied into their chronic pain, but I didn't know why I couldn't get them fully out of the chronic pain. And I was considered a really good physical therapist for the uh, Phoenix area in Arizona. And when I became a clinic director of another company, I started taking courses on breath and breath work and how you breathe and how that affects your asymmetries in your body. And all of a sudden, I started playing with it. I started modifying their teachings and playing with it on myself. And I could calm myself down in ways that I couldn't before. Like I became looser. And before I was type A, really wound up tight, always go, go, go. I was on all the time because I had to. I lived in fight or flight mode pretty much my whole entire life. And so I started learning and playing with this on myself and I run marathons to help calm myself down, but I found out I could run faster and run faster and faster without changing anything but my breathing and how I positioned my body. And so after a couple years of playing with this, I started realizing, one, I could get people out of pain who were in chronic pain, people who were told they had to have knee replacements because they were bone on bone and getting injections. All of a sudden, I could get them out of pain, get them out of surgery. And I played with it more and more. And then just in the past year, I started working with people with stress and anxiety, panic attacks, ADHD, sleep deprivation. And I started helping people with these issues to help them calm down because I realized how much it helped me. So when I was undergoing a stressful event, the tension didn't go completely in my body anymore. I could stay free. So it wasn't an additive impact on my body from these mental and emotional stressors. And I could calm myself down and get through very stressful times just by doing the breathing and helping myself relax during the daytime. And then I could use it at night to help me go to sleep. And so that's how this evolved. That's 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 really fascinating. So it almost in a slightly perverse way, your upbringing has perhaps got you to uh, a uniquely interesting uh, career path for, for all, all, of, all the pain that you went through. It's, it's interesting how you've ended up wanting to do something that supports other people in their life but of course and your journey but your journey to a doctorate and everything it still wasn't that easy was it because i think you you you, you were married and then divorced through i was i was so when i came back from france i moved in with this guy and i was still in that fear mode and he you know he swept me off my feet and Everything seemed great. He proposed. I said, yes, even though I had no experience dating. I said, sure, why not? I This seems so much better than my previous situation with my mom. And I'm like, yes. let's go for it. And Huge it relief, was. Much. I was like, oh, my gosh, this is awesome. How did I get so lucky? And then, yeah. and then there were problems with that. He, you know, when you're young you don't know what you really want and you're still growing and changing. And he thought he wanted to be someone for me and, and that wasn't really his true self. And so things broke apart and, you know, he, 
you realize that someone that was in his life before was his true love. And so our marriage split and it turned into, unfortunately, a nasty divorce. There were things that came out in the divorce. And one thing that I have always done when I face adversity is, who am I? Am I an ethical and moral person? And I talk and I reflect on that and I and I know that I am. So I always lead with that. I always make my decisions based on who am I as a person, not how do I want to act to get revenge or cause someone else pain because I'm suffering. And that's how I went through the divorce. I was completely honest. Sometimes it hurt me in terms of monetary um, reward, but it didn't matter to me because I knew my sleep at night and who I was as a person was more important than you know, $1,000, even though I didn't have any money at the time because I was graduating from grad school. And so it helped me move through that. I also saw a psychologist who helped me work through a lot of issues of self-doubt and blaming myself and fears. And so I got through that episode of my life and started going on to my new job and I could focus on that. And it was hard. It was really hard, but I still was not good at being able to recognize a person and their intentions. And my first boss was actually physically abusive and he actually got in trouble for it. And so after five years there, I escaped that one (laughs) and um, then got into a much better situation. And that's when I started learning the breathing and it really helped me deal with my past troubles. And also at that same time, as I was learning the breathing and playing with it is when my mom came back into my life after not talking to her for nine years. And I was able to use it to help me calm myself down while I was going through her hospice care and her eventual passing. Wow. Wow. I mean, you really have had to be an incredibly resilient person, haven't you, through the the things you've had to deal with. I, I, I wondered if you look at that positively, if you can look at that positive, what, what do you think it's taught you about about yourself and about how to deal with life? It's taught me that we can get through more than we think we can. And it teaches me that life is hard, <laughs> really, really hard. And the part that's hard is the relationships and how to relate to each other. Just because my interactions with someone goes bad or poorly, I know I have strength to get through it. Not every day is going to be good, and I'm going to have to ask for help and rely on people. But I know overall, I can continue to progress forward as long as I'm focused on how can I still help people. I know there's a purpose for me in life, and I know my purpose is helping other people and teaching them skills that they don't know about their body. And so if I keep that on my forefront and that on my focus of my mind, I know I can get through these hard times and keep pushing through. Do you think that that perspective about the difficulty of was influenced by what happened to you in the beginning in your in your definitely definitely has it put a sort of lens on things which makes you particularly 
aware of that issue. Yeah, I, I definitely agree. I remember being aware and present since I have been about five or six years old. Mm. I've been told my whole life I'm an old soul. And I think it's because I've had to become aware of my surroundings and I'm very perceptive of other people's energy and how they're feeling. I'm very empathic and it's been there for as long as I can remember. And I think it's because I've had to be, mm. because I've had to read such a com complicated person of my mother. And I'm watching her movements and her behavior for so long. It strikes me that listening to you, you didn't have much joy in your life. Have you found an outlet for that joy now? Yeah. So helping other people get out of pain and suffering, that provides me a ton of joy. I also have a great passion for uh, photography, especially wildlife photography or landscape nature photography. Um, being close in nature gives me gives me peace in my heart, gives me peace in my soul. When I can capture interactions between two animals and you can see the care and the love, it gives me hope for the human species as well. And then I also provide, I also get solace with running, long distance running, um, marathon distance all the way up to 100 miles. That, it gets me outside. I mean, <laughs> it certainly yeah. does. I mean, 100 mile ultra marathons. I mean, that, again, that's showing like a tremendous determination again, isn't it? You've, you've clearly developed a huge ability to control and discipline yourself and, and, and push yourself, haven't you? I have. And I think my whole life, <laughs> I've always wanted to challenge myself. And if I find that I'm scared or I'm weak about something, I try to find a way to get through it and push through it and see if there's an, some ability in me to learn to get through it. So when I was doing the 100-mile races, I've done two of them now. One was a 24-hour race, and you see how far you can go in 24 hours. And I made it like 102.88 miles. Oh. And then the other one was in the mountains, and it was a pure... You have thir 36 hours or 32 hours to run 100, 100 it, it was a little over 100 miles because it's in the mountains and it's never exact distance. So it was like 102 or 103 miles. And so, and you, it was like an 8,000 foot elevation change. And so that took me a little over 29 hours, like 29 hours and 40 minutes. And that was a lot slower because I had run a really fast marathon six days beforehand to qualify for Boston. And so... Just going through those, you go through everything when you're running 100 miles. You love it. You hate it. You hate life. You want to kill yourself. Then you love life again. You're hungry. You're tired. You just want to curl up and die. And you just go through this emotional roller coaster <laughs> as you're running. And it's funny. It's like you go through a whole life cycle in those um, hours that you're running 100 miles. And then you come out at the end and you have this mental strength that you push through all of these fears, all of the self-doubt. You gain the strength that you can do stuff that very little people have done. 
not because they're not capable, because they haven't chose to do it and train for it. And it really does help you get through other adversity in your life because you have this accomplishment that no one can take away from you. It wasn't based on someone else. It was based on you. And But at the end of it, your mental strength determines whether you quit or whether you finish. Hmm. And that alone will get you through so much in life. I can completely imagine that, that you must have to have tremendous strength. I mean, most people find, you know, doing a marathon of 26 miles a challenge, let alone that kind of distance. Were, were you always physically fit or do you think that's something you've developed in yourself, that level of fitness? I started running when I was going through the divorce. I had never run before. I never even thought I would go to run the Boston Marathon. I never even dreamed I did an Ironman triathlon. I never dreamed of that. I never dreamed of running 100 miles. It was literally get on a treadmill and walk just so I could cope and get through the stresses of the divorce. And then it turned into someone said, you should do a half marathon. I was like, oh, no, there's no way I can do a half marathon. <laughs> And then I did it. And a friend of mine signed me up for a full marathon without my knowledge and said, guess what? You're signed up. You have six months to train. And it kind of floored me. And I realized, okay, uh, here we go. And once I did that, I was 10 minutes short of qualifying for Boston Marathon. I did it so much better than I expected. And I thought to myself, I wonder if Boston is actually a reality someday. And I didn't think it would be. I really didn't think it would be. And I tried I tried for a couple years to qualify. And this was before I learned the breathing techniques and kind of developed that. And I couldn't get there. And so I gave up on that. And I started training for an Ironman to see if I could do that. And I finished that. And then five weeks later, I did the 24-hour race and got my first 100-mile um, run under my belt. And I had just started learning about breathing and started tweaking it and playing with it. And two months to the day of the 100-mile race, I ran a race and I qualified for Boston. And I couldn't believe it. And so I started playing with the breathing more and how I could calm myself down and just just calm myself down as much as possible while I was running because if I could relax myself, I could keep my body in neutral, the muscles wow. would relax, things would stop hurting, and I could run faster, longer, without pain. And a couple months after that race, I ran another one and dropped seven minutes off my time with no other changes. And I knew I had something. And at that point, you know, I was calming myself mentally and emotionally but didn't realize it. I thought I was just working on my physical body and I, and I continued with it and I ran another race, dropped another seven minutes and just blew away my Boston qualifying time. And I knew I was going to Boston for sure then at that point. But at that point, I still didn't realize that I was helping myself mentally, emotionally and stress wise. I just thought I was doing something for my you know, my mobility, my flexibility, my strength, endurance, and my pains. And over time is when I started shifting and realizing 
oh my gosh, I can help people with stresses, anxiety, sleep deprivation, and even blood pressure issues and heart rate. Because I had been running, I was very fit, and my heart rate was in the 50s. And when I started practicing this breathing and calming myself down, my heart rate dropped into the 30s. And it wasn't just the training of just being a you know long-distance athlete. It was literally the breathing that dropped it down because I could calm myself down so much. It was scary. <laughs> Fascinating. I mean, so, so this is obviously the experience that led you to set up the business you've, you've now got, PABR Institute be really helpful for the listeners to perhaps explain exactly how you've developed this therapy and what its benefits are. Sure. So what I started looking at was initially was how does breathing and your asymmetries in your trunk, like your organs and your muscles, how does that impact your body position and your pain? So that's what I looked at initially is how to get people out of pain. And that's what I used it for, for chronic pain. But then I looked at, okay, what was really going on? And I figured out that if I changed my body position, so I'm put my rib cage into a neutral position instead of the perfect posture of shoulders back, chest out, suck up your gut. I said, okay, that's the extreme. What if we drop the rib cage down, we let the breastbone go in so that our ribs soften down and we're not overextended, what does that do and how does that help our breathing? And what happens is if we learn to use our side abdominal muscles to pull our ribs back down into neutral so they're not flared up, that actually provides a greater support for our diaphragm to contract more efficiently. And when our diaphragm can do that, that helps us breathe differently and it calms down our nervous system so we can get out of fight or flight mode into it's called parasympathetic relaxation and so when that happens you start to feel muscles release all over your body and you feel the tension go out of you so this can help then with stress anxiety sleep issues it can help reduce your fight or flight mode so your cortisol levels don't have to go so high so it can drop your blood pressure down i've seen with several patients that I have now where their blood sugar drops down and so they don't have to take as much insulin. It also helps your body reposition back into neutral because your muscle tension is reducing, your muscles are releasing your joints. So your bones go back into a neutral position so it frees them up so there's not that impingement that contributes to pain. So people like um, some of my clients, some who have had joint issues like bone-on-bone knee arthritis who are scheduled for surgeries, if you change the way the rib cage is positioned, the pelvis relaxes back into neutral, their joints go back into neutral, the pain goes away. They're still bone-on-bone, but there's no impingement and their motion comes back, so you don't need to have the surgery. And this also happens with panic attacks or anxiety or stress. We hold our tension in our trunk. We are so used to having our rib cage be rigid because we're in this guarded protective mode all the time. Every stressor we have in life, work, financial, kids, family, um, physical stresses, all of those cause our body to tense up because we're going into fight or flight mode and we need to protect ourselves. 
that's only useful for that moment, but we forget how to relax and let that all that tension leave our body. And so over time, our body learns just to stay rigid. And that becomes a severe problem because once we get to the point where we're in such tension, our body says no more. And a lot of times it turns into fibromyalgia, adrenal fatigue, chronic fatigue syndrome. Um, it can lead to other illnesses. Well, I, I, get, I get that one because <laughs> yeah, obviously I've experienced that myself. I'm really interested in, I think people would understand that as a specialist in physical therapy, that you would have the skills to address the more obvious physical um, things like rheumatoid arthritis or things like that. But clearly you're, you're finding a lot of success with more chronic stress-related conditions. How does the breathing work in that context? I mean, is it, is it purely the breathing uh, techniques that are helping that, or, or is it in combination with other sorts of physical therapy? So what I do, so people, if, they're, if they come to me for stress and anxiety, I teach them not only how to breathe differently. It's very counterintuitive to what we do on a normal basis. I teach them this different method of breathing. Plus, at the same time, I'm teaching them how to position their body so that they're not in fight or flight mode and how to position their body to maximize their breathing and the use of their diaphragm so that they can calm down the stresses. Sounds uh really interesting and, 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 and a sort of fascinating business you've created. Just looking looking back a bit, I'm wondering whether your struggles earlier on in your life have actually now helped you to fashion the, the, the work that you're now doing. It really has because one... I've known stress my whole entire life. Yeah. And prior to this, I had a lot of pains. I had headaches. I was stiff. I I had, you know, just even with running, I would have chronic, you know, the typical running issues because my body was so wound up tight and I felt like I needed to be perfect and I needed to be on all the time. Mm. And it's, it's all I knew. And learning how to do this breathing and realizing it's okay to not be 100%, to not be striving for perfection, that it's okay not to be that way all the time, and that it's more beneficial to my body to learn how to let go, relax, and release than it is to stay on all the time. And it's, it's changed my life. I can handle situations so much better. I can handle trauma so much better. I don't freak out. I don't have as many, you know, emotional downtimes because I can control my stresses. And I realize that, okay, I don't want it to go into my physical body because if my physical body feels bad, then it's going to affect my mental health and my emotional health. And so if I can keep my physical body loose and limber, I can then use that one, to feel better, but I can also perform a little bit of exercise, which improves your neurotransmitters, which improves your mood. 
so you can use it as a tool to help yourself in so many ways. And and of course, we're seeing much greater degree of uh, research and and validation of the connection between the physical body and the the spirit and the mental health. So I guess you're really exploring that. I mean, I, I think it's also true to say, isn't it, that that the whole concept of breathing techniques is starting to become much more well understood or better understood by the general public. I'm thinking of um, the work that Wim Hof has done that that sort of developed uh, quite a uh, following. Are there any parallels with what you do? So his techniques are fascinating and we have different purposes for what we do. So with his techniques, he's trying to get you ramped up and able to handle extreme situations like the cold. Yeah. So his breathing, he does short breaths to ramp you up and it gets you into fight or flight mode so that you can handle an extreme stressful situation that's taking your body to what is not considered a normal limit. And so his breathing technique gets you to, to suffer through all that and to do it in a successful way. My breathing technique is much the opposite, where I'm trying to get you out of a stress mode because we're in this baseline stress mode, and I'm trying to get you to sense relaxation. So that way you can perform in your daily life when you need to, but then also come back down to calm your whole body down to free you up. So there are different purposes for what we do. And his does phenomenal stuff with people. And I have followed him and I've seen his results and it's incredible. But it's just a different purpose that we're doing with our breathing techniques. And his is connected in, if I'm understanding it correctly, with um, the way the metabolism works and the absorption of, of... oxygen and 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 a positive effect on the immune system as well i think isn't it and then i decided i can make a more impact on the world if i can start my own business which i started the paber institute which stands for pain awareness breathing relief and i figured if i could start my own business and start spreading this message i can help more people Instead of just staying in a clinic and treating the people that came to me, if I put the effort into reaching out, trying to get on podcasts, trying to get on speaking stages, teaching this in group settings, and then try to support myself through virtual sessions and one-on-one coaching in an office here in Arizona, how could I make an impact? And so... The story in that book talks about this and how I met a a really well-known gentleman, Robert Kiyosaki. He wrote the book uh, Rich Dad, Poor Dad, and he's one of the financial geniuses in the world. Indeed, he is. (laughs) (laughs) I was on a um, work cruise, and I was learning and trying to learn about business and personal development, and I approached him and said I had read his book and his book really had a great impact on me and he asked me what I did and this part I can tell you because it's all public knowledge now and he's he's spread it around to, and told many people. I asked him, um, it, you know, I told him what I did and he said, can you help me get out of pain? And I said, sure, I'd love to. And so I helped him and he started going around the cruise ship 
asking for me and saying, where's my body healer? Where's my body healer? I need help. <laughs> and it was quite funny in this cruise where everyone was trying to get a minute of his time. Here it was him coming to find me. And I was kind of in shock because I had I didn't really know how to deal with the attention. And from someone who is so well known, I started becoming known for helping him. And I met another gentleman named Kyle Wilson, who worked with Jim Rohn and was his business partner and grew Jim Rohn, who was big in the personal development world back in the 90s. And so Kyle asked me to help him. And I did. And he's now he asked me to help him in his his mastermind. He's a mastermind that meets all around the country here. And so I go to his masterminds and I help all the people in his masterminds and I teach and I and I present now. And it's helped me get my name out there, but I want to help more people. Mm. And you know, I'm I'm continuing looking to grow and to share this message with more people because that's why I'm here. I know that's my purpose is teaching other people skills so they don't have to have unnecessary medical treatments or I can help them get through emotional disturbances, help them get out of stress and anxiety. And I know that's my purpose. And now I just ask other people for help to help me spread this message. Yes. Uh, and it's a, a tremendous message. I mean, I was going to say, um, I don't think anyone could doubt the amount of adversity that you've been through your life. I mean, it's amazing. And your young life. What do you think you've learned from that 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 others might benefit from? The thing I think I've learned is the biggest lesson is it's okay to ask for help. It's okay to rely on other people and say, I'm struggling can you please just listen to me for five or 10 minutes just to give me a release so I can trust myself and I can trust that I am strong enough to get through it. We doubt ourselves so much. And sometimes we just need that hand being held out and taking that hand to realize that we have the strength inside ourselves to get through something, that we have the ability to heal And that we can learn the skills to heal ourselves. But it takes that first step of asking someone, please give me a minute of your time so that I can learn that I am strong enough to get through this. What would you say to your younger self now? I think I would tell myself to take more chances and to not be so fearful. There were times I did give up opportunities because I was they were driven by fear. And I may have gone to Caltech and jumped at that chance. I'm grateful that I have the journey that I've gone through because it's led to me to where I am now and it's made me more humble. It's made me more understanding, but it's also taken me through a lot of pain. But if I could tell my younger self, take the chance that you don't think you're capable of taking. Give yourself the ability to go through fears and know that you'll be okay going through them. And do you think now, now you've got to this place where you're doing something that you really 
enjoy, you're clearly passionate about helping other people. Do you feel you're stronger as a result of what you went through? Absolutely. I still fall down. <laughs> I still fall down on we a daily, do. weekly basis. <laughs> but <laughs> getting back up is You're not easier. alone. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, and and you know what's funny is the more that I'm vulnerable and I share with people, the more that I learn that no matter what walk of life you're in, whether you're at the very bottom and you have no money or you're a high profile business person, we all are human and have the same exact issues, mental, emotional issues, physical issues, and it's all the same. And we just have to have that courage to wake up and put one shoe on and just keep falling down and keep getting up. I am much stronger. And I know that because I'm stronger, I'm going to face harder hurdles because of that strength. I think you touch on something which uh, which I think is, is an incredibly valuable perspective to share with people that because as you rightly say, you know, it doesn't matter who 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 you are, you have issues to deal with and, and actually having the resilience and the determination just to take one step ahead is incredibly important. And you've demonstrated that. I mean I think many people would have would have given up I mean it would be very understandable if someone had done that but you you've kept going and and you know in many ways it's it's I would suggest it's probably your time now I mean I think because you're doing something which is clearly extremely valuable uh, you're starting to get traction and and awareness and all power to you for that I think it's fantastic and I think very inspirational for people listening to this to know that you know whatever bad things you go through you can get through there is light at the end of the tunnel and in many ways it can it can empower you it can it can give you a strength and you feel you feel like you gain a skill or just some kind of confidence when you can get through something and survive it it really does help and and also, I think realizing that perfection is not something that we see in life. Perfection is just this dream that I don't even know if we should have it as a dream. I think we should just try to be the best version of ourselves, and just go with that and just think, okay, I'm going to make the decisions that I make today based on my knowledge, my emotional state, and what I can do for the world. And if we lead with that, it will help us calm down and not realize that mistakes are, they're not bad. It helps us grow and it helps us learn. And it helps us move through the bad times because we gain knowledge from it. And it's not always easy to keep that in mind, but it helps. Amy, this has been an inspirational talk, I think so many people will admire you enormously you've shown great courage great resilience and you're now doing something of, of huge value to people do you want to just spend a moment just just talking about how people get in touch with you and sure so my website is a great way to get some resources it's 
paberinstitute.com, P-A-B-R institute.com. And on that website, I have a variety of things that you can look at. First, you can just look at just kind of what I do. But I have several interviews on there and um, different podcasts, this one as well. And I explain some of the breathing processes so that people can start to get an idea of what it is that I teach. Also, they can sign up for an email, free email. I do a weekly email where it has some written word and a video, and I explain things about the body and how you can change the way you position your body to help get some relief. And then also on there, I have a review se- a review section of testimonials, and you can watch some videos or read some stories from people who've been helped by this technique. And then lastly, they can each and even reach out to me on there. There's a contact page and they can send me an email and I'd love to hear feedback if this has helped in any way or if they even want to send me an email and I can send them some videos. I would be happy to do that as well. And just some videos on like neck pain or back pain and some things to consider and how I can help them. Fantastic. Really, really great talking to you, Amy. Thank you so much for, for doing this. And I wish you terrific success with, uh, with, with the business and helping as many people as possible. I really appreciate your time, the attention, and allowing me to share this story. I'm very grateful for everything that you're sharing. And thank you again for having me on. And I hope this benefits your listeners as well as you. And if I can ever be of help to you or any of your listeners, please don't hesitate to reach out. I, I know that's my purpose and I'm grateful for your time. What can I say? There's so much to admire about Amy's resilience and how, despite the significant challenges in her life, she's still committed to helping other people. And I can't help thinking it is this outlook and her refusal to blame or seek revenge that has been the key to her turning the tables. Amy could have been forgiven for feeling huge resentment for the anxiety, the stress and the fear that filled her life growing up. But instead, she's found fulfilment in using her considerable talents and skills as a physical therapist to help others to deal with adversity in their lives. We can't all run ultramarathons to find solace, but we can adopt a patient and resilient attitude to our relationships and the challenges we face in our lives. Until next time, go safely. Thank you for listening to this episode of Turning the Tables. If you enjoyed the podcast, please subscribe and be sure to listen out for the next episode, where I again will be exploring with my guests how they turned adversity into advantage. See you next time. Go safely.